Welcome to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast. I'm Dave. Uh, as always, I'm here with Nick and Theo. How's it going, guys? Hey. Hey, dude. All right. So this week, we're going to be talking about witches. Um, Sorry. Ghost witches. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a twofer. I'm so excited. Yeah. So it's going to be broken up into two bits. This, um, this week, we're going to take a bit more of a historical look at witches and witchcraft um and next week we're going to have a special guest and we're going to be talking about some more of the new age witchcraft uh but this one's mostly going to be uh the devil witchcraft so personally i like the witches where you give them money and they take their clothes off that's that's yeah. a witch right well, yeah they're those are the ones that my parents always warn me about so oh, okay <laughs> i like witches um, I like them a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, so, Dave, were you saying something? No, no, I was just okay. hanging out. Now I can't stop thinking about witch prostitutes. <laughs> um, witch prostitutes? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. Uh, <laughs> it's wordplay. It's, it's clever wordplay. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. We have fun here. All right, this has been Age of Enfrightenment. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs> No, I'm a, I'm actually in in all seriousness, I'm really really excited about both of these episodes um because this is a a fun topic I think for everybody, but one that's particularly exciting because we talk about spooky things and we talk about horrifying things and I think the legacy of witchcraft throughout all of human history is riddled with all of these real life horror stories, but not necessarily what people would expect because the the victims are not who you would expect based on our notion of witches. It tends to be they're the people who are getting the, the, the awful things done to them. But there's like these really terrifying stories that really happen throughout history. So I think it's kind of cool that we're breaking it up this way. And we're going to talk about, you know, the belief side of it and the things that people practice. But, but today we're especially going to talk about all of these true stories and that happened to real people. And in some cases, not even that long ago. Yeah, I imagine we're going to get into some really, really gruesome territory here. So, you know, strap in, everybody. Yeah, I'm going to try to keep it from getting absolutely disgusting. But while I was researching uh, for this episode, uh, yeah, there were a couple of points where I was profoundly grossed out by uh, some of the torture remedies. So we'll try to sidestep some of that. Uh, but, yeah, you know, there might be a little. Right. Keyword being remedies, which means they worked. Those people are no longer witches, and we're all yeah. very grateful about that. <laughs> Thank God they were willing to do that. Yeah. So, you know, instead of uh, talking about New Age, we're going to go way the fuck back um, to the biblical times, Yay! as I think it's pronounced. Um, so, Ed, do you want to do you want to kick us off on some of that? Oh, yeah, word, word. Um, so, witches feature pretty prominently in the Bible. Uh, you wouldn't think so, but it comes up pretty frequently, and in the Torah and the Quran a little bit, too. So, it's something that, to a certain extent, the major religions all um, validate. Um, so, the first mention of witchcraft came in the Bible in... Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. It's all about how God created the world and all that. And after 
um, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that story. It's uh, pretty first-day stuff. Uh, humanity propagated the world. And there was a certain type of angel called the Grigori. And they were also known as the Watchers. And the Watchers were given tasks to uh, basically just, just, just watch, watch over humanity, kind of be humanity's guardians and observe them. Um, I always kind of think of them like if you are familiar with comics, you know, Marvel, They ha there's Uwatu, the Watcher, who's this dude with a big head whose job is to observe events as they happen. Yeah, yeah you know he, what I'm talking about. He looks like Boss Baby, but in space. Just a big, <laughs> fat head with yeah. a little body. He's like a pop figure. <laughs> and um, the Grigori feature really prominently in the Book of Enoch that was omitted from the Bible. And when you're a young Christian and you're kind of starting to explore the, the stranger aspects of the faith, I feel like that's one of the first things you go to So because it has some of the cooler bits of Christian mythology in it. Um, so what happens is the Grigori, the angels, fall in love with human women, and they start to uh, mate with human women, and their offspring are known as the Nephilim. And they're supposed to be there's, – there's different accounts of it. Some say that the Nephilim were born giants, and some of the translations were that they were became great heroes. You know, giant and hero kind of got interchangeable. Um, but they mingled with human women, and they started teaching them things um, like basic stuff like agriculture and mathematics. Um, but it gets really specific. Warren says that the Grigori started to teach humans magic, and God was not into that. Uh, so he banished the Grigori from heaven. Um, so like I said, witchcraft comes up kind of frequently in the Bible. Um, so just like some of the, the Bible passages I picked up, um, Exodus 22.18, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Um, Leviticus 20.27, uh, A man or woman that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So Leviticus is the book of the Bible that was written right after the Israelites left slavery in Egypt. And it's basically just a list of rules about how they're supposed to live. And the thing about that is that that is one of the parts of the Bible that has um, passages against homosexuality. Um, what I always thought was interesting is it really doesn't show up anywhere else in the, um, in the Bible uh, except Leviticus. The Bible is a lot more explicit on why you shouldn't be a witch than why you shouldn't be gay. Right. And yet that isn't we don't have laws against that currently in exactly. our country. So, yeah, I mean, that the people who are who are, you know, slapping that book and saying, uh, but, you know, I know I know I have a feeling of what Dave's about to say, but I don't think we tend to argue or debate in our presidential elections about whether or not witches should have rights. Yeah, because, people, I think just it just doesn't come up. <laughs> people who are on pizza stores aren't refusing witches' service, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm just amazed that we're now a podcast that uh, quoted Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> we're now one of those podcasts, uh, and that can't be changed. <laughs> um, I think what's kind of uh, interesting that, that Theo brought up is that it kind of sows the seeds of what witchcraft represents throughout basically the rest of time. Like you talked about how the Nephilim were teaching the women that they were uh, familiar with 
different things that were good things like knowledge, how to use magic, how to use simple things like agriculture. And God was not having that. He was not showing up for that. So that kind of mirrors in a lot of ways, the same thing as the temptation in the garden. It's like, well, what did they really want? They wanted to, they wanted to know more. They wanted to be, they wanted to have more to do in their lives and, and more wisdom to be more like God. And that's, that's kind of the thing. You're not seeing witchcraft in the traditional maybe pop culture way of like, well, witches are bad because they're eating babies and stuff. And like that, those kind of rumors and, and oral histories have been passed down. But what you're talking about in the Bible is a lot more of the traditional, they broke the rules of God because th- those were the rules, not for necessarily practical reasons. They just wanted to be, they wanted to learn more and be more like God. And that oh, was, that yeah. was a no, no. And, Apparently, God was pissed off when yeah, he does the Grigori <laughs> taught them enchantment and meteorology and astrology. Not because he didn't think that we would ever know it. Apparently, we just learned it way earlier than we were supposed to. Uh, he was pissed that the Grigori like sped up the timeline. Right. Um, so it was like that, I, I didn't. It was like it was like leaking like an album before it drops. Yeah, like, exactly. like he was basically. Yeah, <laughs> in this case, God is. Yeah, uh, God is Sony. Yeah, God and- is Jay Z being like, no, the timing is everything. Like this is the biggest album of the year. <laughs> Got to drop on title. <laughs> and the Gory are North Korean hackers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think this is a pretty strong episode. Yeah, we're off to a good start. God, it's not. They did um, it. <laughs> Google it. Um. So. You know, that was a an original theory about where witches came through, came from. Basically, the Grigori breeding, making these Nephilim, and then passing on archaic secrets. Um, another one, if we go even further back, pre-Adam and Eve was Adam and Lilith. Adam, uh, Adam and Steve. Am I right, Adam guys? Adam and Steve. Um... <laughs> Lilith was Adam's first wife. She was also made from the rib of God. Or no, it made from the soil. Sorry, I, right, right. I'm not as uh, Christian as I co-host. I, by the way, just as an aside, uh, I grew up without any religion. And uh, through, <laughs> through a lot of this reading, I've, I've read a whole lot. And like, yeah, you guys are crazy. You guys <laughs> were raised on some crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Well, it's true, but it's also kind of funny how, uh, you know, we have hindsight now and we can look back and I mean, I still remember how, uh, take it at it at its word. This was for me. And this is when I was pretty young. I mean, I started questioning things pretty early, but that all religions do this. They all have some kind of creation myth that is just riddled with rules and things that seem very arbitrary, but this is i think what makes things like witches so strong today is that they've been so ingrained in us that like even really rational people are like well if i believe in god and i believe in an afterworld then you know there could be witches and it just like these things stay strong for a reason and i think religion is a big part of it like we we allow ourselves to believe that so strongly so why not all of these other things and that's why the true belief in dangerous witches and witchcraft is so pervasive in a lot of ways still today we're not maybe as upfront about it but it's there oh yeah no no, not in not in our culture but 
We'll get into that. Oh, yeah. so well, I just just uh, one quick yeah. thing. While I was looking up stuff for this episode, and particularly Bible quotes about witches, I came across this website, and it was all about black magic, and it had this graphic. I, I gotta track it down, and we gotta post it because it's a picture of this dude on a street, like a street performer, and he has those foshigi balls. You guys remember those? <laughs> Where those like the juggling things, and it has this big banner cross, and it just says. Black magic, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> Fushigi. Oh, that's fucking great. Oh, that's um, great. So apparently you can learn for the dark arts at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning on Comedy Central when they're advertising that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? So, Lilith. I, uh, <laughs> sorry for leading us off onto that sidetrack. <laughs> it's all good was Adam's first wife, and because she was also made from the soil like Adam, uh, she didn't look at herself as being subservient to Adam. She refused to lie with him. She refused to be on bottom. And basically, she left. She divorced Adam. Started from before. the bottom, now we're here. Yeah. She, yeah, she sang that, <laughs> and then she just walked out. Um, but she went on to uh become something not not quite a demon but she fled and basically spent the rest of the time stealing men's semen to make her own babies right uh she was one well, of that's the, how you do it yeah like her and her and diana were notable for stealing children to make their own right and uh just like people talk about mitochondrial Eve, uh, which we all hail from, another theory is that there is mitochondrial Lilith giving some people abilities that are supernatural in nature. Yeah, Lilith pops up a lot in pop culture, yeah. um, you know, like dark fiction. Uh, she's, a, she's a pretty interesting character. Um, you know, there's, there's an element of empowerment to it, definitely, uh, that I think a lot of people identify with. Yeah, and, and there's that sort of saying uh, of like i've i've heard her referred to and, and dave kind of alluded to this as like mother of demons yeah. so it, it all depends on who you ask if if you have the opinion that humanity and coming purely from the race of eve is a good thing then then anything that's monstrous or evil you know vampires witches all these things they descend from lilith so it's it's kind of a nice like tidy way for us to like burps, by the way. <laughs> yeah, if if the, if there was a weird edit there, it was because Dave let out a loud. Burp. There was a whole conversation about burps before this recording started, and I just w- did not want to let that pass. Yeah, we, yeah, we, no, I told you it was coming when I chugged that seltzer. Yeah. Dave is uh, he descends from Lilith, and he's a real piece of shit. You know, um, I, I only I, got burping powers. <laughs> it's been forever since I've read it, but I, I, I'm pretty positive that in in Beowulf, there's a passage about Grendel and Grendel's mother descending from Lilith, isn't there? I believe that is correct, yeah. We'll have to go back and double check, but I, I kind of remember this. I think that might even be the first time I heard of her, actually. Even yeah. further than that, Gilgamesh, the original fiction, uh, which mm. sounds ridiculous to say, uh, has Lilith in it. Lilith, the myth of Lilith has been around since the Babylonians. Like it's, right. uh, this is clearly not time. Yeah. This is clearly something that, um, 
that the Hebrews picked up from elsewhere. This it's not it's not a strictly yeah. Judeo Christian character. It's much more um, yeah. ancient and sort of primeval than that. She was first introduced on the WB show Supernatural as Sam Winchester's girlfriend. On uh, the WB. And everyone just really ran with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you know, there's a lot of old biblical myths that swarm around witches. But it really, you can draw a direct line between that and what happened in Europe, which is mainly what we're going to be talking about today. Because, you know, everybody everybody knows about the Salem witch trials. Uh, you know, 20-something women accused. I think 11 of them were executed. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, do a search on witches, and that's going to be one of the first things that comes up. What more people don't know about is Europe, for almost 400 years, had... A witch scare that basically takes a piss on the Salem witch trials. Uh, somewhere between forty thousand and a hundred thousand people uh, were executed because of the European witch scare. That's a lot. Um, yeah, it's definitely more than eleven. <laughs> um, so I don't understand why more people don't uh, readily know about that. Well, I think a lot of it is national hubris. I mean, the Salem is the best example of an American witch trial that we have. That's the one that people like to go to. Yeah, and nobody gives a shit about what happens in Europe. <laughs> and, and I, I think <laughs> least I think of all me. <laughs> it's so much easier to. Uh, well, number one, it's easier to do a story that's close to home, but also I think it's a little tidier to act like it was this sort of uh, isolated event with some historical context. It's a little more difficult to make really great, uh, you know, books and TV and stuff that's about like, oh, uh, you're going to have to settle in because there are literally tens of thousands of people who died and the historical context of it is way more uh, convoluted than we could set up in the first 15 minutes of a movie. So we're just not going to bother with it. I think is also yeah, probably as a lot of that as primitive as it was back then, you know, in the, the early days of America as a nation, there's still this idea of it being the new world and mm. civilized and that something like that happening just flies in the face of that. So I think there's naturally going to be some attraction to it because of that. Right. It's like, how could this happen here? And then if you look at the European roots, it's like, well, that's a, that's how it happens here. Like that's those things die hard. The yeah. the way that people felt about witchcraft and and the like actual legal precedent that that came before it. Like the things that made it like, well, yeah, obviously we've been doing this for hundreds of years. This isn't something that's taboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, jumping forward in the timeline a bit, uh, you have to understand like how something like this got started. Uh, there were a couple of different schools of thought as far as God goes. There was the monotheistic school of thought that said, you know, God controls absolutely everything. However, that changed at a certain point, and the devil really became its own personality. Um, Suddenly the devil was something that was supposed to tempt you into evil because originally the the whole concept of demons and the devil was that they had to operate completely in the realm of god who is supposed to be all powerful so they couldn't 
in any way manipulate physical substance of any kind. They were supposed to inhabit more of the air realm. Uh, they could compress themselves down and enter bodies, which is what we know currently as possession. And in this state, apparently, they could breed with borrowed semen, which is supposed to be another another origin of the modern-day witch. And it's where so, we got the idea for sperm banks. So that that was very great. Thank you, demons. <laughs> We've been talking an awful lot about semen, and this episode just started. Yeah. No, it's all... All of my notes are semen-based, so... And semen-covered. a lot of notes. You nasty man. <laughs> but I just love that whenever I talk to Ed at some point, I, I call him a nasty man. It doesn't happen anywhere <laughs> you else. Nasty you nasty man. <laughs> stop being a nasty man and I'll stop saying it. <laughs> so, with the new rise of, of dualistic religion, which was good and evil in a constant raging battle... Uh, there suddenly became uh, two forces that were like continuously battling each other. There's references to it in the Quran, the Bible, and Hebrew texts. Um, jump all the way forward to like the very early 1300s in Europe. Uh, now Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, his dad, uh, really was. <laughs> <laughs> His white Anglo-Saxon father. <laughs> Who lived for hundreds of years before uh, siring him. Until somebody finally went, you know, we should change some stuff. <laughs> Martin Luther, who's like the great reformer uh, of, of Christianity in Europe. The great buzzkill, as Catholics would call him. So Martin Luther released a paper basically saying that we have to be continuously aware of the devil's influence Vigilant. on this world. Now, you have to understand, during this time, they had a lot of things to contend with. There was a real rise of heresy, and also then throwing the Black Death to boot, and it made an environment where people were, everything was bad, and we typically need a scapegoat, and the devil turned out to be the scapegoat. Um, however, it's not enough to just say that the devil is doing bad things because we can't do jack shit about the devil, so we turn to people. Yeah, and also just you, you threw a word out there that I think is worth defining. I'm assuming a lot of people know, but um, you know, heresy is a word that we grew up hearing a lot because we, you know, Theo and I both went to 12 years of Catholic school, so that historically has a lot of context. But it's worth noting that heresy could be anything. <laughs> It could be a scientific uh, achievement. You know, it could be the Copernican theory. It was a lot of the greatest advances that we've ever had were labeled as heresy. And a lot of people were killed for it. So, you know, you everything is just in this this boiling pot of of distrust. So when people talk about the Dark Ages, that's chiefly why it was the Dark Ages. I'm, you know, Dave also mentioned the plague and, you know, there was a lot of very physical things pushing on that too but it was only exacerbated by the level of the church has grown to be the most powerful thing in europe and most of the known world and yet because of trade and because of people having more uh interaction with each other like with the moors um the you know people who believed in islam and things like that which was a budding religion there's just a hotbed of distrust and of calling things out as satanic so it's like 
perfect time for this guy or worst time really when you think about it for this guy Martin Luther to be like such a hard line guy to come forward and start pointing fingers and start saying what's heresy and what isn't it was really dangerous for a lot of people for a lot of very smart people who are trying to learn things and do things to make the world better oh yeah and you have to realize that you know heresy was a big no-no but magic was not originally there was a form of high witchcraft or of high magic i should say called necromancy which if you're not familiar with it it is basically summoning a demon and bending him to your will that was actually practiced yeah. uh, by high society yeah, like they, totally cool were, with it <laughs> yeah no it was it was not an issue however a rise of low magic, which is your basic witch, came about. And the big difference between them was the church said that if you're practicing necromancy, you are bending a demon to your will and you're in control. Where in the case of witches, it was you had to make a pact with the devil and you were basically a demon slave. Right. It's it's being subject to... Um, as opposed to being in control, which is kind of crazy to think about because when you think about Christianity as, as it is today, I couldn't imagine that being accepted. Like it's almost kind of uh, too, you know, full of hubris to say that you could control anything in the other world. Like that, that went away hard after this because there's like, as far as I know, no traces of that being an okay thing. So it's pretty crazy to think about. I also think with modern Christianity, there's it's a lot less acceptance of the stranger aspects of it. I mean, I, I think most people that consider themselves Christians, if you ask them if they believed in demons, most of them would say, yeah, I don't really think I do. Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot less acceptance of things like that, um, you know, than a couple hundred years ago when... There was no proof against it, yeah. so it oh, yeah. was it just, made the yeah, most sense to people. Um, so you know, it's important to note that uh, we, we can sit here now and be like, "Ha, huh, idiots!" But like, it's very much this was a terrifying thing. This was the people who knew everything, telling you that there were demons and, by extension, witches that were blasting your crops and cursing your children. Uh, it was a very real threat, right? Another thing is that when Christian uh, missionaries started to go into, you know, deep into the heart of Europe and Asia, they'd come across people that had their own cultures and their own beliefs, and they started kind of adopting them to fit around Christianity. So whereas the Irish believed in, you know, the the fae folk, the fairies, uh, the Christian minister, um, missionaries would come in and say, no, like, those are demons. Because what else would they call them? They've never heard of them, but and they've heard of they demons. Would... So, oh, yeah, we, we know what you're talking about. We've heard of those guys. They're bad. There <laughs> was actually a entire unit of Templars that were tried and convicted of heresy uh, during the Crusades because it came out that they were worshipping a disembodied head uh, of Baphomet. Oh, I um, thought you were going to say Richard Nixon's head in a jar <laughs> who was president. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it was it was around for quite some time. Yeah. Um, a lot building to it. But what I was saying was that just the, the Christian 
would sort of, I guess corrupt isn't the right word, but kind of turn their beliefs against people. You know, the, there's a famous story of um, one of the saints going into a Nordic village and chopping down trees that were uh, sacred to Thor. And uh, a lot of the list, there's a list of demons that are supposed to be canon in the Catholic Church. And a lot of them were gods and creatures from mythology from old, old religions. Uh, like, I think one of them actually wow, has yeah. Loki listed as a demon. That was, yeah, it was considered at the time to be, you know, uh, an actual evil entity on the side of the devil by the... Right, and that, know, yeah, and, and back Church in of Rome. the biblical times, as, as David talked about, there were there were gods like Baal who were worshipped and probably not seen much differently than uh, the god of the Israelites by the people who worshipped them, but, you know, the conquerors get to tell everybody what happens so those kinds of old gods become you know the villains of of the great story yeah and now you have people who had spent their lives as priests or you know healers dedicated to these gods suddenly the christians roll in and now they're witches and demon worshipers oh yeah well that's the thing as heresy began to decline like the the real threat of heresy to the church that was about when the witch craze kicked off. So, you know, you can draw a line between one main scapegoat going away and the other taking its place. The problem is, in this case, uh, it was usually innocent women. Um, now, ain't no women innocent when they get around me. <laughs> 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 ladies, ladies and gentlemen, Satan's here. Hey, Satan, how are we doing? Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Long time listener, first time call. <laughs> All right. So. I wonder I wonder if uh Satan listens to our <laughs> podcast the way that uh Donald Trump watches Fox and Friends. Like he's just like, oh yeah, he's just getting that like that little boost of like, yeah, you know what? I am pretty great. I don't know why all these people are saying all these bad things about me. I, I, am, I am doing a good job. Good for you, Satan. Everybody likes you. Anyway, Dave, Dave was so, getting somewhere. So basically, we can talk for like three hours about how Let's. Uh, it, it revved up to, to this. But, you know, I want to talk about some of the key features of yeah. European witchcraft. So, you know, jump forward in time a little bit uh, to what people think witches did and to what some witches claimed they did. Uh, so let's talk about the Sabbath a little bit. Are you guys at all familiar with the Sabbath? For sure. All right. So basically the Sabbath is a nightly gathering of witches that they would apparently fly to. And at the Sabbath, they would do what's called the obscene kiss, which is kiss the innards of a goat. They would pledge their allegiance to Satan. They would uh, sacrifice unbaptized babies and use them to make flying ointment. So this is really where the uh, whole concept of witches stealing babies came from. 
and it wasn't so much the magic but specific laws uh were created to stop what they would call night flights to the sabbat because uh, apparently you could be a witch however if you flew to the sabbat that was when it became a law that you were breaking <laughs> well you just can't have a bunch of ladies oh, just flying around on brooms all <laughs> willy-nilly so not in a democracy now there was a lot borrowed from this uh from the roman text uh you know, which really, all, all of this says, like, a lot more about the accusers than it does the actual witches, uh, as far as, like, eating babies and everything. But it was supposed to happen every Thursday night. Uh, however, there were also people that said it only happened twice a year on Halloween and some other event that I can't remember currently. Flag day. So, before we kind of move on to other things... Just an interesting thing to point out about the Sabbath. This is probably the first time for a lot of listeners that they're starting to hear some things that sound familiar with witchcraft, that the picture of witches flying, convening at night um, to do, you know, to worship the devil and to make their, you know, evil pledges and things like that. That's a picture we have in our minds. And it's one that drew a lot of attention throughout multiple art periods and throughout uh, a lot of our history ever since. And notably, there's a, a series of paintings by uh, Francisco Goya in the late 18th century that were these very kind of detailed, spooky, kind of smoky paintings of, of witches doing this. And it's exactly what you would picture in like a modern horror movie or, or something like The Witch that came out a couple years ago, which really very clearly drew a lot from Goya's work, this idea of like, convening around a fire and there's the famous uh painting that he did called the witch's sabbath which uh shows witches around what's essentially a a likeness of of a real life baphomet a goat-headed figure in the center and that's really starting to be like that's how we picture witches and it was so long ago that that started and it's that's probably been one of the most pervasive ways that we've seen witches up till present day really yeah, and the Sabbath is the basis for Night on Bald Mountain, that segment in Fantasia with uh, all the, the skeletons yeah. and monsters and the giant winged dude Chernabog coming out of the mountain, which, you know, <laughs> fuck Walt Disney for putting that in a kid's movie, because I am sure I am not the only one who had some serious issues because of that. And that's and that's another example of where things start to bleed together because it's based on the Witch's Sabbath, but Chernabog is also a real Baltic god. Um, so would have been one of those gods that had a, had a specific meaning. He was his Chernabog means like the black God and he had a certain connotation in, in that religion. But then when encountered by Christianity, it's easy to be wrapped into this idea that he's just another demon. And so we see him the way that he is, um, in that, in that segment. Yeah. As we record this, uh, the first episode of American Gods just premiered yeah. last night and Chernabog is a big character in that. So that's the character that Peter Stormare is going to be playing, which I'm super jazzed about. But all right, let's let's jump uh, forward a little bit to the Malleus Maleficarum. Nick is going to like dig into this a little bit more. But just to give you some background on the Malleus, uh, there was a trial in Germany in the early 1400s where a guy named Kramer, uh, not Seinfeld Kramer, the other Kramer. Oh yeah. The other Kramer. Uh, yeah. The other Kramer, 
uh, drag somebody to court for malfeasance, which is basically dark magic, and he lost. Um, it did not pan out for him. Uh, he was pissed off. He left. He wrote a book called the Malleus Maleficarum, which translates to the Hammer of the Witches. And he co-wrote it with somebody. However, he, it, was, it was a witch-hunting manual that also discussed the legality of witches. And when he released this, he kind of forged a study from the University of Cologne and put a papal bull in it to justify it. Within a couple of years, the church had condemned it, but it didn't really matter because at that point it had spread like wildfire. A lot of blame is put on the Malleus Maleficarum for increasing and really giving a lot of power to the witch hunting across Europe. What does Malleus, what Malleus Maleficarum, that thing you said? What does Malleus Maleficarum? Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Uh, what does that mean? Like that's Latin, right? So it's, it's, it's Latin for um, the hammer of witches. So Malleus is hammer. And Maleficarum is the possessive of witches. And it's funny because the first, so the first time I ever heard that term uh, was because it's an AFI song. It's a song by the band AFI. So I looked it up and I just kind of assumed like that was like a good thing for the witches. Like, oh, it's the witch's hammer. Like that. And 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 it wasn't (laughs) for another few years that I did more research. And it was written in, in 1486. So still kind of coming out of the dark ages into a, into a sort of a new period. Um, but it's really important today as, as Dave said, because of what it sort of empowered local people to do by sort of pointing at it often in sometimes the same way that people would point at the Bible and say, well, it's written here. So it's true. And part of uh, how they got away with that, like Dave said, was the papal bull and apparently uh, these guys, Heinrich Kramer and James Sprenger, actually did have, uh, to some degree, a papal bull, but it was, about their, uh, it was about their rights as inquisitors. Um, so they, they did have some backing from the church, but they more or less, you know, as, as Dave said, sort of the forgery, it was kind of based on the fact that they had some backing and then they kind of just rolled it into, well, that means we were allowed to write this book and we're allowed to say that it is, it has its stamp on it from the Pope. And I would uh, challenge anyone today to tell me if the Pope says something that it still doesn't have an unbelievably massive ripple effect across the whole world. So with the, you know, At the same time, things are becoming available through the printing press. And it was just like the perfect storm for these guys who wrote a book. And before anyone could disown it or or write a rebuttal, it's already in people's hands. You know, it started out in the hands of people who were wealthy and could buy the book. And it didn't take long for it to just spread like word of mouth. And I've read a little bit of it. And it's it's pretty terrifying how sort of procedural and kind of um, matter of fact it is in, in its layout. It doesn't read like a ghost story. It doesn't read even really that much like the Bible because these are people who had knowledge of, you know, legal terms and things like this. And it sounds very, if you just take it at its word, the way it's written, it, it sounds very matter of fact. Like the, this is how you uh, define a witch. This is how you, you can tell. And this is how you deal with them. So it was taken 
as the gospel truth by many people and many other books and things were kind of written after that. And there was no putting the genie back in the bottle at that point because many trials, as Dave said in the beginning, led to people dying and being being persecuted for this. And it, a lot of it comes right down to this book, these two guys that decided that they were going to take on witchcraft at large. Now, do you think that this was a case of these men seeking power and them using this as a justification? Or do you think this is kind of like when we discussed Jack Fiddler, when we were talking about, you know, the Wendigo Hunter, where there was a real chance that they believed in what they were doing? Okay. So Kramer was a complete nut job. Yeah. Uh, he really, really, really hated women. Um, and he was something of a sadist, which is why the Malleus uh, actually encourages the use of torture, uh, like really grisly, awful, awful torture. Um, and, you know, it, it took a while for a long while for people to catch on because Kramer eventually died in poverty and exile. People began to turn on him. However, it took a long, long time and word of Kramer being exiled uh, didn't spread like the Malleus did. You know, th there are people who are using the Malleus to still convict witches, uh, not knowing that, that Kramer had basically been excommunicated. But no, in, in, in truth, uh, Kramer struck me as just an insane person who really had a vendetta against women. Yeah. Uh, he was angry about the way things were going. And it's actually been contested how much um, Springer actually had to do with it. Like I've seen a lot of things that, that I, I think he was thrown in there a little bit more to, to add some credibility to Heinrich yeah, Kramer, he was. who was, who was known to already to some degree as a fanatic. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's reason to believe that this was really just Kramer's manifesto on how to torture women that he deemed witches. And the other guy kind of got pulled into it. And, and that's what's, carried through history is is his name being dragged through it as well you have to understand the impossible situation that the malleus uh set up for people who were accused of being witches the witchcraft accusations were very much driven by torture uh the malleus was one of the first ones to say that you could get a confession in the torture chamber and have it legally hold up in court mm. As a result of that, something like 95% of people who were accused of being a witch would confess to being witches, probably because they just wanted the pain to stop. Where in somewhere like England that had a bit more of a held back approach on torture, the conviction rate was only 50%. Basically using the Malleus Maleficarum as a handbook, they tortured somebody until they just confessed to whatever the hell they wanted them to confess to. Right. And this is a debate that is carried on through civilization to the present day. If people remember during the Bush administration, all the talk about torture and is it even effective? It is all stuff. It's the same tactics at play. It's saying, how much can you believe someone's testimony if you've pressed them beyond the point uh, of what anyone can stand both physically and mentally because it's torture in both ways. Like, you know, things like the, the malleus, that's what caused people to do, you know, a lot of the things that we know about, like we're a lot of people are probably aware of the things like, um, you know, drowning witches and, 
if you know whether or not they float things like that whether or not they burn all that stuff but there was also the the mental uh degradation that people had and they'd keep them awake for like 72 hours and just make them pace back and forth like they wouldn't let them stop and it was just this complete breakdown of your mind and body to the point where any person would say literally anything and there are many cases and we can get into a, a little bit of of a couple where this not only led to them confessing their crimes, but basically pointing fingers at every single person they know, people they loved, people in their families, to say, oh, yeah, they're witches, too, they're witches, too. Anyone that their inquisitor said, give us more names, they would give it because that's how effective. I mean, the, it was really like the accuracy with which these guys learned how to torture people was pretty staggering. Well, it's it's like you see in old horror movies where there's people who have, you know, like body snatcher type deals where somebody has to prove that they're not the alien and they'll say like, Oh, I'm not an alien. Well, of course you're going to say that you're an alien. Right. So there's, they, they create this argument that you literally cannot defend against when somebody decides that you're a witch, then you're just, that's, that's it. There's no way to prove that you're not. Oh yeah. Cause it was the, you know, as Nick touched on, it was called trial by ordeal, which is basically we will bound you and throw you into the river. And if the devil is helping you, you will float. If you're innocent, you will sink. So basically, you're just fucked either yeah, way. Yeah, you're screwed either way. So, so that's the craziest thing, too, is that this is something that they allowed to happen, and they would drown people. They would, uh, you know, if they drowned, everybody would go, oh, what do you know? Wasn't a witch. Or, or bad. Well, you know, maybe next time. And then they'd keep doing that, and no one really saw any irony or issue with that tactic because it's because of things like the malleus that made it very clear that this is an official doctrine and this is what we're supposed to believe. I think uh, there, there's a lot of ways that that carried through. And like Dave said, this, you know, created this 90% success rate, whatever it was across um, 95 across yeah. Europe and and Dave talked a little bit about how it wasn't as high in England but England had their own uh little bout of this as well that was pretty brutal as well and it was an interesting way that it happened in history because people who were living in England especially London especially the cities they really fancied themselves as being enlightened as being much more advanced and and sort of above all of the uh, you know ludicrous thought and you know paganism and and very staunch christianity all these things were kind of beneath them but then along comes uh king james the 6th in the late 16th century who started out as the uh monarch of scotland and he also was a guy who was he was this wealthy guy he was a very learned guy and he thought that he was above this kind of stuff too, not really a believer in things like like witchcraft until a particular case hit his shores where people were coming to him with accusations about witchcraft in, in Scotland. And he wasn't having it at first until uh, this kind of turned on him. And basically an edict that was released saying that part of the accusations against a certain witch was that bad things would happen to King James. And that's when he started to look into it more. It's this example of a guy who really became enthralled by this. And this is the leader of an entire nation. 
Well, skip ahead to the death of the queen in England and it falling upon him as the closest relative to now become the king of England of the United Kingdom. And he has to move to London and he has to, you know, rule from there. Prior to this, he had written a book about all that he claims to have learned about witchcraft, and it was called Demonology. And again, much like the Malleus, it was a document that went into sort of uh, very logistical ways of identifying a witch, you know, including things like the devil's mark, stuff that that we've come to know about. You know, you see things... uh, Uh, in movies and TV about looking for 666. Well, that was a real thing, except it was as simple as the devil leaves a mark on you when you seal your soul to him. Shouldn't he be busy ruling entire countries? Like, too busy to be doing this kind of shit? (laughs) You would really think, but I... I think if we look throughout history, that's probably one of the things... I think that's how we get a lot of our weirdest stuff, is just, like, bored monarchs that need a a passion project because they're not really they're not really doing anything and this was like this was his passion project there was nothing he cared about more even ruling like you said the united kingdom so he wrote this book and he became a true believer um you know not a case of a guy because he's the king he's not the case of a guy who's pettily trying to get money out of towns by tricking them into thinking there's witches and getting his payment as a witch hunter and stuff. No, he believed it and he wanted to warn everyone. So when he became the king of England, the people who lived there said, well, we want to learn a little bit about our new king. So they kind of looked him up and it spread, the gossip spread really quickly that he had written this book. So people started buying it like crazy. It was, you know, the equivalent of a New York Times bestseller at the time. Everybody was reading Demonology. And it kind of started as sort of this fancy notion that people thought was kind of taboo and isn't that interesting. But within just the same decade, there started to be, for the first time in a long time, very real witch trials in England, similar to the ones that were happening throughout Europe. And one in particular that I wanted to talk about a little bit was in 1612, Uh, which was the case of the Pendle Witches. It's probably the most famous in England, if not one of them. You know, it has a similar kind of impact to the Salem Witch Trials uh, that we have here. And this was one um, where I think there were 12 people accused of witchcraft from all different parts of this area in Lancashire. And in particular, it began with a really interesting story of a young girl named Alison Device. And she was kind of the catalyst um, for what set in motion all of these things. The story goes, and there might be a little bit more myth to this than reality, but she was a real historical figure, was that she ran into this man named John Law on the road. Ran into Johnny Law. (laughs) Ran into Johnny Law. (laughs) We've all been there. She got caught up. She fought the law law one. Um, But she ran into this guy, and he was a peddler, um, sort of like a homeless traveling guy. Peddler of justice, Johnny Law. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, there's more justice coming, actually. You're going to love it. Oh, good. I love justice. So one of the things that he peddled in was these metal pins, which sounds like nonsense to us, but, you know, before mass manufacturing, it was very difficult work to create, like, intricate metal pins. And apparently she had asked him to buy some, and he refused partly because of rumors 
um, that uh, about her family that she, that they were already involved in witchcraft, and apparently metal pins were something that people would say was used in witchcraft. So the story goes that he refused and he walked away, and as he walked away, um, Allison kind of cursed him in one way or another. Uh, the way that really any sort of low class person would at that time. The hey, same yo, way fuck that we you, would John honestly the similar like the same except with more of a connotation of like actually cursing someone like she throws up the wu-tang clans (laughs) (laughs) she's like i don't like people playing with my pins Um, so she curses him and probably doesn't think anything of it until like moments later this guy john law johnny law uh collapses on the road now, he probably had a stroke. He probably fell ill to any number of things that people that we know are natural ways for people to get hurt today. But she fully believed, especially given even knowing the own ru- rumors about her family and about her grandmother, um, who was said to be a witch, that she thought, oh, my God, I just I cursed him. And she felt so guilty that she actually uh, confessed to it and it just started this unbelievable uh, pathway to most of her immediate family being tried and killed because there was a justice of the peace. There's where, that's where more justice comes in, um, in, in the area of Pendle Hill named Roger Knoll. And this guy is, you know, similar Kramer, but probably much more um, pushed forward through his own, sort of uh agenda to gain more power and more money and you know he was a a local politician and he saw his way to make a name for himself so he took on the case as the justice of the peace and really started to grill this girl and grill her family next thing you know they're all being thrown in lancaster tower where you know much like tower of london or these other european places that you hear is just a hell it is a tiny cell stone room very little light if any and they were tortured in many of the ways that would have been uh, set forth in the Malleus Maleficarum. And they went to trial. And a big part, and this becomes, I think, pretty uh, big in a lot of witch cases, a lot of what made Noel successful in, in trying these witches was getting these two families... And each were said to be led by a local witch, one who they called Demdiki and the other who they called Chaddix. Those weren't like their real names, but they were the witch names in the community. Mostly just, you know, old, poor women who had families that needed to steal to survive. The kind of people that are easy to, to throw accusations of witchcraft at. Yeah, well, w- witches. <laughs> yeah, we, we, witches, we right? call those witches. Um, but sort of like the Hatfields and the McCoys in, in U.S. history, these are just two families that hated each other. They're just the two, you know, two of the poorest families in town. They don't get along. They've stolen from each other. And they start throwing these witchcraft accusations at each other. And that's all they needed to really kind of drive the, the idea home that they're all witches. And see, they're even behaving like witches. They won't even, like, be true to their own kind. They're pointing fingers. And so members of both sides of that family were killed and what greatly sealed the deal at the end of the case was uh, a nine-year-old girl who was allison's uh, little sister an, a granddaughter of of, of demdiki i believe came forth and basically turned her whole family in like her own family said my mother my brother my sister they're all witches and just said literally everything 
that Noel and the other townsfolk probably prepped her on to say. And to this day, it's not really clear what pushed her other than probably just the hysteria in the town and the fact that she was pulled away from her family. They were in the tower. She wasn't. And now you've got basically a girl who's being brainwashed to say, like, this is what we know about your family. They're evil. They made a pact with the devil. They're marked by the devil. And she turned them all in. So this girl, uh, Janet Device, has sort of become this symbol of how witchcraft works. Like, you take this innocence and you warp it. And it's how you build people who heartedly believe that witches are real and they should be brutally murdered and and, and punished, even if they're in your own family. And what nine-year-old do any of you know have the uh, gravity and presence of mind to make an accusation like that? The fact is, if you put a nine-year-old in a room and separate her from her family, she's going to run with something like that, something like an accusation um, in this case, though, because they wanted to convict these people, nobody stepped forward and go, maybe we shouldn't take the word of this nine-year-old girl right. uh, who is clearly traumatized. Uh, it's really how things got moving in this case. Something kind of creepy but probably explainable happened, and a lot of people died over it. Right. And and there's really and I think the two young girls in that family are kind of uh, the two sides of how this works. The one believing that her family are witches and the other believing that she herself. I mean, Allison Device was uh, contrite about this till they till they uh, put her to death. She really said, like, I deserve this. I, I you know, injured this man. John Law did not die from the stroke or whatever it was. He lived to be able to point the finger at her as well. And she took it and said, oh, you're right. I cursed you. And that, you know, from that to Janet's testimony was all it took to say, to, to really set a precedent early on in the 17th century that these are real and people could point to this case and see, see these two little girls both even admitted it. And now, and then what followed was, you know, over a hundred years of devastation to people's families as this became a legal precedent, really, in, in England. So coming off of that, I think we want we might want to kind of close it up a little bit with what we alluded to before and likely what people are think they're most familiar with, but they, there's certainly more to be said about, which is the Salem witch trials, because we've kind of moved our way through Europe and then into England where people thought they were more uh, civilized than that. And then this carried uh, across the ocean into our territory. And I think it'd be really cool for people to hear about uh, sort of the the lead up to the events that took place in Salem. Yeah. So the Salem witch trials, which everybody knows a little bit about, got going because a group of girls in one of the larger houses claimed that they were taught witchcraft by one of the servants. Basically, th- this was supposed to be a very willing act of learning witchcraft. Uh, however, again, they were little kids. They were curious about something. One of the girls suddenly was filled with guilt, uh, felt that she had made a pact with the devil, and she told her father, this kicked off the witch trial. I mean, there's no analogy for it. 
uh, this kicked off the Salem witch trials, the thing that that's just like a textbook of fear and backstabbing in the country. Yeah, and I think it's become sort of the go-to example of, I, I think when people use the term like witch hunt, they think about this specifically because we're so aware now that the evidence in in the case was basically, you know, sand. It was it was nothing. And it's where we get that term from and it it led to people's like real death. And this was what were the what were the the dates of the Salem witch trials? Do you remember the general time? The Salem witch witch trials went on from February 1692 to May 1693. So it, it went on for a while. Right. So this is longer than that kind of shit should be happening. Yeah. And this is at the opposite end of the century um, of what I was just talking about. So you can see a hundred years, you know, that tradition in England, how it carried over. And we all know how much a society can change in a hundred years. And yet it's really in many ways the same case it's people just verifying their own bias in any way that they can you know that there was the verdict was made up long before they had the quote-unquote proof to kill the witches in the salem witch trials it's it's really the same thing and there's there's all of the precedent that we've kind of already talked about by the different books and the different legal trials that happened throughout europe And what's really interesting about Salem, you know, kind of as opposed to some of the other ones, is that it just got so completely out of hand to the point where the initial girls that were accused of witchcraft, they just started blaming random townspeople and they just started killing people en masse. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's almost like they were one of the most successful like sets of unwilling serial killers oh yeah in in american (laughs) history and they had incredible ability to do it by just sort of pointing a finger i mean imagine the power you'd feel if you were a little kid and you could basically just point at someone and they're dead within a matter of weeks or months or days even that's just going to be something that you keep doing. And you probably think, well, this is my purpose in life. I point out witches and witches. I just know them when I see them. I, I always have all of the adults around me are telling me that I'm right. And it just kind of carries forward from there. And I think because of that, because it was just coming from little kids, is that with the Salem witch trials, you kind of start seeing rumblings from people that there was clearly there was a lot of people in the towns as this was happening, just going, this is ridiculous. Uh, like I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have had to read the, or saw the crucible, uh, you know, in high school. And, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite plays. I think it's incredible. And, you know, Daniel day Lewis plays John Proctor in the movie in real life. John Proctor was 60 at the time of the trials. Um, he was like a, an established landowner and, um, you know, well-regarded member of the community. There's no evidence that he and Abigail Williams were having an affair, um, mm-hmm. and he, and it's not just that he was killed, his whole family was killed. And one of my favorite figures in the Salem Lift Witch Trials is, uh, Giles Corey, who was another, um, older landowner who the girls, they would just say like John Proctor or Giles Corey came to me in a dream and they told me to sign the devil's book. And they were just like, well, clearly he's a witch. 
otherwise why would they say that uh yeah and and did they i can't remember specifically were they also cases where they stripped them and and found like a birthmark or or a scar or something and said oh look we found it they have the mark i I can't remember if that was part of that um those trials or not i don't think it was not with those two in particular uh what Mm. happened with giles Corey is uh one of the reasons that i find him so interesting is that he refused to he just was like no i'm not doing this either way so he was brought before a judge and they said how do you plead and he just wouldn't say anything he refused to get involve himself and right. that he just called bullshit on the whole thing exactly <laughs> and they had a policy that if somebody refused to plead they couldn't be tried because um either way so they would do something called pressing which is a really nice way of describing a really horrible act where somebody would be stripped naked and they would put basically just like a piece of well it wouldn't be plywood they didn't have plywood back then but they would put a board on top of them and just start stacking stones on top of them and just the weight of stones just crushing them and they would give them no water no food and would just leave the stones on them until they said either way i plead innocent or i plead guilty uh they did this to giles Corey, and all he would say was more weight which is so fucking badass and yeah, it took him it, it three is, days yeah. to die and his last <laughs> words were more weight he was just no i'm not doing this and i, I think that's why <laughs> salem is so interesting again because you really start to see that people are starting to lose this kind of um superstition about witches like yeah. the the beginnings of it is there where a, a community is like this isn't how we should be doing things anymore right it was kind of like the death rattle mm-hmm. um especially since it was in you know the new world and new you know religion itself was taking a new shape in in america and the way that people uh sort of held it in a different hand from their politics or from their laws was starting to take shape so you're right it starts to be this like this is the last time we're going to do anything like this because this is complete nonsense and within the next century that's when it started to be uh less taboo perhaps again because we talked about there were times when it wasn't necessarily so evil to be doing witchcraft um you know, within the 18th century and, you know, you get things like the enlightenment and stuff and, and Rome and the romantic period, people started sort of romanticizing the idea of witches not terribly long after the Salem witch trials, because it was kind of this last gasp in America, at least of, of this is a real fear that we should have. And I, it's almost like if it wasn't for everyone knowing the story of that horror uh, who knows how much longer it would have trickled in little places. It's like people needed this big example that we can all point to as like, this was wrong. They, you know, yeah. there, there was no proof here. And that from that point forward, it started to kind of wane. Um, and maybe that's why we think about the Salem witch trials as so prevalent as they are, because they feel closer to home than a lot of the other kind of witch stories that we told. And they, they feel like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like uh, when you, behave like you're still in college at like 33 and people are like oh yeah that was cool back then but now you know we're we're kind of past that nonsense now so just just uh pick your brains for a second do you guys think that something like that could ever happen again in civilized world oh boy well so let's take the example of king james um 
you've got a monarch and he's telling and he's spreading the word and he's preaching this gospel of demonology. It's a real thing. And it overtakes people who really thought they knew better. Not to get too preachy on this, but I think if we take the idea of the most powerful leader in the world pointing at a group of people and saying, they are the source of all your problems, they are raping everyone and killing everyone, and then millions of people believing in that person and giving them more power, I think we know that that is happening. I don't, I don't think I need to be more overt than that. So I don't, I don't know if, if witches is going to be a thing because it's become, we've trivialized it. We've made it into something fun that kids can dress up as on Halloween. But the legacy of witchcraft, and I think historical context will maybe help us further down the road. I think the story of witchcraft craft is still alive and well. And we talked before about, you know, how the Moors were seen um, during the Crusades and things like that. The same things happen today with racial groups and with religions. It's and it's the same tactics. It's the same tactics of confirmation bias. You know, you find the one story of of the person that you don't like or you believe to be a witch or a radical Muslim or whatever it is. And you you want to know, you want to believe so badly that they are evil and they're the source of all your problems and you'll find the one story. And I think that's crucial because I'm sure throughout the long legacy of witchcraft, there were probably some shitty people who were put to death as witches, whether they were just bad neighbors or maybe they were murderers or thieves or things like that. You only need those few examples to create yeah. mass hysteria. You only have to look uh, back to the 1940s and the rise of the Third Reich to learn that people can be whipped up into a frenzy about what they perceive is a real threat. And it takes very little for the veil to fall away and for people to start doing really deplorable things to one another. Yeah, a good story can go a long way. Or a good story about a bad thing can... It's so much more powerful than... Even to this day, I think, than things that we see with our with our own eyes. And that's why, you know, that's why we have the, the term witch hunt. You know, it, it should be, I think, a warning about not witches, but about the evil that's in each of us if we let ourselves get, you know, put our ideas ahead of what we know. Is I, I think that's the lesson of, of witchcraft throughout our history, really. So, and just, just as one last thing, um, you know, Theo, you asked that question, how do you feel witchcraft stands now in the public culture? Like in my mind, it's kind of been something that we trivialize. How, how do you think, like, if you had to put a life timeline to witchcraft, like where, where do we stand with that in like how it's hiding still within our, within our communication with each other and the way that we talk about it? Well, I think a lot of the venom's been taken out of it. You know, if you, you think about a witch back in colonial times, you think about this very dark, powerful figure. You think about a witch now, you, the image that comes to your mind is a dumpy goth girl. Uh, so, right. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I, I think it's something that's kind of accepted, but now it's just another wacky religion that's out there. Um, so I, I don't think and even even the most diehard Christian, I think, would be hard pressed 
to really give a positive yes on believing in magic. You know, if you ask, do you think that witchcraft is real in the sense of movies and books and things like that? I don't think anybody really believes that. I I think it's more of a spiritual thing, I guess. People that worship something other than God are going to be bad, but they're not doing it right, you know? Right. I think that leaves us off in a really nice place uh, to end this episode because what we're going to get into in part two is exactly what you're talking about, witchcraft today. And and we're going to be finding out what it is uh, from the source. We're going to be finding out how people practice it today, uh, what form it takes, what the beliefs are, what the things that aren't believed in are. And, and I know we're all really excited uh, to get into that. So uh, I'm really glad that everybody took this journey with us uh, throughout all the history so that we can really kick things off on our next episode with, with uh, true life uh, witchcraft and Wicca uh, in 2017. Woo woo. <laughs> all right. So uh, thank you all for listening to the age of enfrightenment. Uh, just to do a little bit of, of housekeeping, uh, Theo or Dave, do you want to, you guys want to, want to tell everybody where they can find us online on the internets? Well, we are at aoepod.com. There you can find all of our episodes, um, our footnotes, things like that, all of our social media links. And I guess this is the first episode where it's been a thing, but we're on iTunes now. Woo! <laughs> yeah. We're very excited about that. We are very glad that people can not only uh, stream our stuff, but you can you can go into iTunes, you can subscribe, you can save the episodes. If you can't listen right away, listen to it on your ride home. Just make sure you load it up on your phone. You can do it through your podcast app if you have an iOS device. I mean, it's it's a really big deal. We want to this to be as accessible and as easy to listen to as it possibly can be for you guys. So we're really excited to offer that. Oh, and we just hit over 100 followers on social media, so thank you so much, guys. Yeah, right on. Thanks, everybody. Um, Thank you to the 100 people who are surely listening right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you are listening, uh, we want to hear from you, so drop us a line. uh, Tell us how you think we're doing, um, any comments or concerns, where you want to see the show go. Um, We're really excited to hear from you guys, so feel free to reach out to us, and um, we'll... We'll, uh, you know, do something. <laughs> to you. We'll do something to yeah, you. Yeah, of a sexual nature. Anything. Are you going to hurt Anything these women, want. Dave? That's <laughs> just <laughs> no, the implications. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Age of Enfrightenment, Infri- and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye, bitch. Bye, everyone. Bye.